0: Going presently through the flying hour, this is Toon Groover Radio with Guards Ballard. Today's special guest is Tommy Stinson, co-founder and bassist of one of the most influential punk and alternative rock bands of all time, The Replacements. Tommy co-founded the band with his brother Bob, who was the lead guitarist, in 1979, drummer Chris Mars, and also frontman Paul Westerberg. Tommy was only 13 at the time, while the rest of the band were much older. Throughout his career, Tommy has also played with the likes of Guns N' Roses, Perfect, Soul Asylum, and Bash and & Pop, along with making two solo albums himself. When the replacement split up for the first time in 1991, Tommy formed the band Bash & Pop with some Minnesota mates and took over the lead guitar and lead vocalist slots, along with developing his songwriting acumen. Bastion Pop lasted two years, with one album plus a song for the Clerks' soundtrack. Now the band is back again with new members of the band, a brand new album that dropped last January called Anything Can Happen, and a new single with Nicole Atkins. They are currently on a tour of the eastern United States, that was a great new tune called On the Rocks from Bash & Pop's brand new LP, Anything can Happen. The band has just recently started an East Coast tour and will grace the high dive in Gainesville Monday night with Ship Thieves opening for them. It should be a great show, so tell your friends and make it a longer weekend if you want to. Tickets are available at Ticketfly from $15 to $18 and doors open at eight p.m. So, without further ado, looking forward to seeing you and your band in Gainesville, Tommy.
1: Nice, nice.
2: Looking forward to it.
0: I ain't played there before.
2: Have you been to Gainesville before?
1: I don't think I've ever been to Gainesville. Well, uh, you know, and I mean, since I was a very little kid, I mean, we lived. We used to live in West Palm Beach, so. We uh-huh. might have come through Gainesville and we left. <laughs> might have been about the closest I ever got. Uh, yeah, but that well, were you a, from yeah, Minnesota or West Palm? Uh, originally from West Palm. I mean, I, I was born in San Diego. We moved to West Palm Beach when I was about six months old, and we moved away from there when I was, I want to say, six years old. Moved to oh, Minnesota. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I totally... No, we yeah we moved away, and I think uh, there was a there was a major uh, weather event that happened when we were driving away from there. Because I, re- the, I have recollections of being on a on a Greyhound bus where we were driving, uh, you know, to Minnesota, and we saw like towns that were devastated by like a tornado or something. I can't remember. Might even have wow. been a tornado. I know, but. Yeah, I remember seeing down power lines and trees. We went to an area that just was decimated. I remember vividly, as you know, my little my little six year old brain could remember, just seeing like, wow, what happened here? It's so scary. You know.
2: Sounds like it had a profound effect on you.
1: Yeah, I always wanted to be a weatherman. Really? Yeah, meteorologist. Yeah, I did. I wanted to be a meteorologist, and the, the closest I came was a musician. Do you know anything about low-pressure systems? You know, a little bit. And only from what I've, you know, gathered and watched on, you know, on the telly, you know, and and growing up watching. And, you know, in Minnesota, we get lots of, you know, back in the day, we'd get, you know, tornadoes and stuff like that coming through, and we'd always be like, glued to the CD, like, so what's the barometric pressure of this thing coming in? Oh, my God, that's is a huge one. It's going to be monster. I mean, you know. He was kind of just fascinated by that kind of stuff,
2: you know? Do you think things are getting worse with climate change these days?
1: You know, one can only surmise that the scientists are right, because scientists <laughs> aren't scientists just to fuck off. <laughs> they are scientists. See, so, you know, they do a significant amount of real-time work due to the data that they have that they're that makes them scientists, <laughs> One can only assume you've got a world full of scientists saying global warming is a thing. You kind of have to go, if they're saying that because they've been studying it for all these years, probably a thing. <laughs> you know, if it quacks like a duck and acts like a duck and walks like a
2: duck, it's probably a duck. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's getting, I, ho- I hope it's getting harder for people who are denying it to deny it.
1: I you know I don't know I you know I have no idea I haven't seen any any sort of data on whether they think these all these hurricanes that are happening right now are a are a part of why that is, but uh-huh. I know that the I know the part of the ice caps melting is a very big part of what's going on and you know why because scientists that are well educated and know what the hell they're doing and they study this stuff they're saying that this is happening. And who am I gonna what am I question a scientist for with, with, with my lack of knowledge? Like, no, dude, you you come on. That planet's fine. <laughs> those ice caps would have been melting anyway because it's it's winter now. Like, what?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I Or should I, we trust the people who have a vested interest in it not happening?
1: Yeah, and you kinda gotta watch Rex Tillerson on that one. And and you gotta watch And that's why he's not in the limelight so much, because I have a feeling and I'm just going to go on. You've you've opened this door for me right now. My feeling is that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors happening. And when Rex Tillerson is not is not being heard from at all, there are some bad things that dude is doing or signing or getting to happen. Drilling, you know, here, drilling for oil here or there, the other. But that's his main gig. That's all that dude knows is where the oil is and how to get it and how to get it to market and make a bunch of money on it. So anytime that guy is out of the picture for a while, you've got to just kind of be looking for his trail, find out who he's making deals with to do what, because it's all bad.
2: Wow, this is getting scary. Okay. <laughs> it is a scary time,
1: dude. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I have a nine-year-old daughter and a 27-year-old uh. daughter. And I'm telling you, I'm scared for them because they're going to be left with this, with the dregs of what this administration is doing. And we might not feel it. I'll probably be in the grave by the time the shit that they get done, by the time what they get done actually comes into fruition. It's going to be gnarly. And I have a feeling that our kids are going to feel that. They're going to have to
2: deal with that. Yeah, I hear you. I have three kids myself. Yeah, um, But uh, I was so I'm going to ask the first music question now. Um <laughs> After that prelude, <laughs> because I, I want to get some people to come out and see the show. Um, cool. um how is this turn with Bash and Pop different from the first time that you did it? The uh, significantly
1: different because I actually have a a, 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 a solid band the first Bass and Pop record was done with some friends of mine in Minneapolis. And, you know, I called it passion and Pop, and there were friends of mine that played, and it was the two Foley brothers, Kevin and Steve, and then uh-huh. Steve Ransig on guitar. And when I went and made the record, um, by the time I made the record, you know, my producer, Don Smith, was like, you should probably play bass on these tracks, because Kevin is good, but he ain't you, and it's going to benefit this record if you play. So then, And by the wow. way, at that time... Kevin Foley was also having some personal issues that he was dealing with, so it, it it was it made sense and he was a very sweetheart of a dude to you know to bow to that um and then ultimately i you know had Steve Branswick playing guitar and was tell and he's he's on the record a bunch, but there were things I couldn't vocal you know verbalize to him about what I wanted to do or what I wanted different or a riff here. I wasn't able to to verbalize that as well as I was able to just go play it myself in a lot of cases, um, and so there was a lot of that going on. So I wore a lot more hats on that first record, just in the producing or you know playing different instruments and stuff that I didn't want to play. This record, I played guitar, I played a little bit of bass, and I sang. And my band that is playing with me now, touring with me for the most part. Played about the last two thirds of the record that we made, um, and it is as live as we could get. Like all playing uh-huh. the songs live, we did we did three to five takes per song, and that was it. You know, live vocal and everything, and then just kind of would either double the vocal if the if the um, if there's too much you know guitar amp bleed or whatever. But we did it live and tried to get the best like band feel out of it, um, and that's what I aimed for with both records. That's why kind of that's why it made sense to call this. You know this new record, a bash and pop record, rather than Tommy Stinson. Because it was a band. It was definitely had the vibe and the feel of a band playing. And okay. and I figured, well, I own the name. Why not call it Bash and Pop? Because it was. It turned out to be what I wanted that record ultimately to have been. And the and it's me kind of going back to my roots, which is kind of just fucking rock and roll. Is this going to be on? Is this? Are you going to air this? And should I be watching out for the f bombs?
2: Um, I hear the f bombs. Okay. You, I mean, is this going to be a print article or? be a it's, radio it's, piece. It's, it's kind of both. It's uh, okay. It's a podcast and a print. Okay, um, cool. So the f bombs are fine. They're fine. Yeah, you say whatever okay. you want to say. Okay, good.
1: I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I'm not I, normally if my nine years old my nine year olds around. I'm pretty, you know, potty mouth free. <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah. I don't swear around natural. but when I get on, when I'm when I'm an adult and I'm out with the adults, the f bombs come slowly back out. So yeah, I, I tell my kid, you know, I tell her like the reason not to swear is because we have that we, we're smarter people. We don't we we know how to use our vocabulary, but it turns <laughs> out when I go on the road,
2: I don't know how to use my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> So I listened yeah. to Anything Can Happen. I guess it came out in January of this year, and I really like it a lot. And one thing I noticed is there's still some elements of your, um, I guess, punk roots in there, even though that, you know, there's rock and roll, there's even a you know, little country and there's some other things. And I'm wondering when you're younger, it's easier to kind of play that kind of, you know, fast and furious music. Um, I would think because you know as we get older our body gets older our minds and intelligence mature. So how do you translate that kind of energy to where you are now as a human being? You know
1: you just try and you just try and keep keep up with yourself. I mean uh, the the reality is is that I still write a certain way whether it's fast or slow or whatever. The reality is when I get out there and play it's like I I still got to. Be able to do that, and I try not to. I try to write within my means these days. I mean, I'm I'm only 51. I'll be 51 next month, but uh-huh. I I still I still have a lot of I still have a lot of gas left in this bag of bones here, and <laughs> so I can I can get up and do just about anything I, I want for the most part. I just have to kind of prep a little bit, you know. Okay, and you know it it helps it helps whenever I can find a gym you know, to kind of take care of it. Because, you know, I mean, whether I'm playing music or whatever, at 51, you don't want to feel like an old cripple. And I've got, you know, things going on, you know, from doing this for so many years that I got to watch out for. So I was trying, trying to keep, keep keep tabs on myself and uh, take care of myself good. Are you able work. to work out when you're on the road? A little bit. You know, if we find, if we, you know, have a day room that has a uh, a gym and that kind of thing, we don't really have a day room here today. I'm starting to get the vibe that uh, someone didn't get my email about this. <laughs> this, this need. <laughs> well, I'll work that one out later.
2: Well, I commend you for doing that because I'm 53 and it, it's hard. Uh, I know when I'm on the road for anything, it's really, really hard to uh, not have my health go to pieces.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's just hard to miss your family and kids. I mean, sure. There's the hardest the hardest part really for me is that. I was just talking to my my girlfriend about bringing my little 9-year-old out when we go up, back up to New York and uh trying to work that out in my head how that might, you know, happen. But um
2: it's hard that you miss your little shit,
1: you know? Fuck, it's brutal.
2: Now, how was it working with Nicole?
1: Oh, man, Nicole, dude, I, I can't say enough great things about her, but I'm going to start by saying, I'll give you the story. I heard her record, Goodnight, Roundly." She sent me in advance of it um, because I'm a fan of hers and she's also a pal. So she sent uh-huh. me a record and I got to listen to it. And, and the first song, I, I remember getting it on, I was taking a trip down from Hudson, New York to New York City. I live in Hudson, New York City. Was I was going there to do some business or whatever. And the first song on her record, I'm a Little Crazy, was the first song in that. And I listened to it like four times in a row, and it just made me sit there crying in the window looking out the Hudson River. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful day when I heard that. And it was really, really threw me. It was a great, great song. I guess her and Chris Isaac wrote that. but I knew that this song, "Too Late," that I've been sitting on, really needed to be a duet. It needed. I've been sitting on it for twelve years. I've been recording it, you know, singing it, doing this and that. You know the other thing, and it just wasn't happening for me. It just it kept missing something. It kept missing the mark. And so, cut to, Perfect is or Bash and Pop, this band, these guys. We show up in Nashville to, um, to play a show. Um. And we have about six or seven hours to kill. I set it up for us to go into a studio down there and basically I said, Nicole, I want you to just do this duet with me. And she was totally into it. We hooked it up before. I sent her the song. She said, I'm totally into it. We got to Nashville. I said, you're producing this thing. Just tell us what you want to do. And she hooked it all up. She kind of had, she had each of us, you know, each of the guys in the band kind of approach it in a certain way that she heard in her head. And, in ways that I felt were good. And I got some squirrely looks from my guys for a minute. They were kind of all in different rooms playing, you know, the song. It wasn't like we'd done the record. It was different. We're like, it was a funny little studio where, not a funny studio, it was a good studio, but the drums were over here, you know, the guitar and the bass player were in the control room. I was in a closet. Um, uh-huh. But we did the session that way with her directing and arranging and, and I just—I told the guys. I said, "Let let's let her do this." You know, it's like it's it, one of two things will happen. It'll turn out great, or it won't turn out great, and we won't use it. Whatever. But it turned out great, and I'm really proud of it. And, um, you know, I what I was my secondary worry was that you know me sitting next to Nicole. I mean, she's got some wicked good pipes on her, and, <laughs> and it's just fantastic. I'm like, so I got to raise my game up quite a bit to like come to the plate here. And um I I I think I think I did a pretty good job of keeping up with her, but I think ultimately she did a fantastic job of producing and arranging this thing and in both songs they're totally different than us, but she you know, she's she gets m- many accolades for me as a producer. I think she's got a good good knack for it. Coming from a guy coming from a guy that I, I do I produce other bands as well. I think I'm actually a pretty good producer right. myself, but I left we let her take the reins because one we were tired from touring for a bit and just wanted to see what she was going to do and she did a great job it was basically a th- it was just basically we got to talk in, or I got to talk to Fat Possum about you know I got some songs I'm sitting on we should put it some, some some of these things out let's do some singles to lead up to the next record um, because we're not going to get a chance to record for a bit as a band so can throw some other things out to keep the momentum going because we have some we have a pretty good amount of, of momentum at you know like you know radio and stuff like that, or at least the triple A radio and stuff um independent radio and all these things so this may basically a you know it's basically meant to be sort of a you know a ladder to the next bit to the next bit that will lead up to a new record, which I bet I just answered one of your questions.
2: You answered several of my questions along the way. Um.
3: Yeah. Hey.
0: Stinson and Nicole Atkins, a beautiful song, and we're going to continue now with our exclusive interview with Tommy Stinson, bassist and co-founder of The Replacements, who will bring his band Bastion and Pop to the High Dive Monday at 8 p.m. Tickets are 15 and $18 through Ticketfly. What were your initial aspirations playing music starting on as a teenager and now being a fifty year old man who has had his fair share of success in the music industry. Is it any different at all or is it the same?
4: You know, when I was a kid and my brother showed me how to play bass, it was it, I didn't even really think about aspirations and it I kinda of, i I kinda of rolled with it in a particular way for for the most part. And then I started to realize, well people start people are like this. So people are coming to see us play so and early on i was like what well, people like coming to see us play why why are we fucking why are you guys all fucked up you know and uh-huh. so I, was, I was a kid i had sort of a more of a you know youthful seven years younger than all of them uh-huh. and i'm going why why do you guys get so drunk these people here that want to see this like why would you do why'd you fuck that up and so we <laughs> had a meetings of mine where I basically called my mom and said, fly me home, I'm done with this shit because <laughs> people are coming to, to see us play. These guys are it up. And I didn't fucking do it. And we basically came to a, an agreement that they would get less fucked up. And I guess I would, you know, join the party to some degree and that's where, you know, we kind of took a little more of a turn to, to try and take it a little more seriously because people started liking us you know, and, and, you know, sadly, it didn't, it didn't hold, <laughs> for the most part, you've heard the story, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was my bit, and so I never, I really never sat and contemplated the, like, where this was going to take me, I just kind of was in the moment of, wow, people like us, we should be better, we should be, we should play our songs better, we should, you know, why wouldn't we,
2: you know, and,
4: and, you know, as you you know, you've heard the stories or if you've read the book or whatever, it's like I I kind of I kinda of ended up joining that party of you know, sort of we're you know, kinda of too cool for school kind of thing. And we kinda of, we kinda of pretended to be we're not pretending to be. I think we kinda of just were fuck ups by by nature to be honest with you, but um but uh you know, there was some real wholehearted efforts to like you know actually, you know, try and do something, and try and, you know, be the best we could be, you know. But I never had, you know, I never, I didn't really have visions of grandeur, you know, like, fucking being this or being that, being rich or being fucking, you know, you two or anything like that, you know, sure, it would have been great. I remember thinking, ah, it must be nice to fucking get on a tour bus and, you know, travel the world. Here I am on a tour bus right now. Okay, so I've done that. (laughs) So, you know, i noticed in a lot of the interviews um, with the replacements that that, uh, Paul, Paul Westerberg, you know, he was a financially group and and, uh, he – he seemed like a nice guy and great talent and everything, uh, but I was wondering since you were younger and since you've shown all this ability to, you know, to be a singer songwriter yourself now, did you feel kind of discouraged with such a strong presence in the band to go and do that yourself or were you encouraged during that time? You know what? He was always very encouraging to, to all of us to write our own stuff and with, and with, and with, gladly you know sit and help and and play play along and stuff and you know even Bob I mean we did did with you know Bob wrote songs I wrote songs even Chris wrote songs and stuff that we brought in He, he was always encouraging and positive and about that sort of thing at the end of the day I mean he was the guy I mean he was you know back then he was you know he would he was just a you know, he's the genius guy. He's the guy that, you know, he's a really great songwriter. And, you know, we all wanted to write songs because we all liked the idea and we were all changing and evolving and growing. And so we wanted to write songs for that. But, you know, to catch up with him, I don't think any of us really had a notion of like, oh, yeah, to catch up to Paul and get a song on the record. And, you know, I want my song in there. We never had those kind of moments. It was like, we would record him. We would record the song and we would all sit back and go, oh, okay, so maybe... That song I wrote, maybe that won't make the record because there's all these other songs that really should make the record because they really good, and he wrote them or we wrote them together, however you want to put it. Um, but yeah, no, he was always there was nothing less than you know encouraging about that, and always you know always you know gave it up to us to try
2: and you know write to himself, you know. Well, there are a lot of things that I should question you about, but I don't want to make this too too long. You know, I know that you were a member of Guns and for some time, um, but I, you know, the, what we talked about at the beginning kind of
4: piqued my interest, and I'm going to go ahead and ask this. So basically, you know, we have a you know a, a populist con as the president of the United States right now, and uh, what do you? I it, it's really. I, more than ever, the country seems to be divided, and there seems to be so much hostility between people more than I remember when I was growing up certainly. And I am wondering, do you, is is the, that there in the music industry as well? And what do you think about the future of America as we see it today? Boy, that's a that's a fucking that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and and I tell you, I think. What I see, what I see happening right now, I, I, I see the goose is about to get cooked at some point. I think that um, I almost want to say, for as repugnant as I think Donald Trump is as a president, uh-huh. I think it might it might do a really good thing for the people because I think that at some point he's not only going to offend the, the democratic process, he's going to offend his own supporters because he can't get anything done that they are in an agreement with or want to get done. So I think ultimately what's going to happen is we're going to have a bit of a revolution. I I really hate this. And it's going to make people go, okay, so they talk about how, you know, all these senators and these people we vote in, we vote in these people to kind of take care of our needs and take care of us, right? right. I think ultimately... What happens is people get fucking very, um, blasé about it and don't realize it actually is us who have to fucking make these people accountable to do our work that we need them to do. I think what's going to happen is he's, like, he's going to the Democrats and not, like, get anything at all done, right? Um, whether that's a real thing or not, I don't know. It seems like a fucking, it seems like a, a small gesture to me, but... I uh-huh. Like ultimately ultimately. Um, the only way anything's gonna change is if the people rise above and say, This is what we want and need and it's not like a fucking it's not like the Civil War where took like the over from the South going, Hey, we believe in this, we believe in that, now we're fighting over it. I think I think that people the people that vote it's kinda like the Brexit thing, right? I think a lot of people that fucking in in England that voted to fucking separate from the European Union when they woke up and realized, oh shit, my vote actually matters, now we're fucked. I think that's <laughs> that I think. the thing. The buyer's remorse is gonna kick in. Buyer's remorse is gonna kick in. That for people that voted for this time. And what's gonna happen is that's going to make people go, shit, I, I, gotta, I gotta do something about this. And when people start to get en masse to do something because they believe in it and their needs aren't being met and they pay taxes and all this stuff and they're going, shit, I'm paying taxes and this guy's, you know, fucking wearing out the CIA just because he's living when wherever the fuck he wants. They already spent the whole budget for the entire year in the first month. I mean, you know, for, for him to get around, like, people are going to rise above and I think that they're going to have to. And I think that would be a good positive thing for a just completely debacle of a presidency. Well, that's the positive for <laughs> <problem. laughs> <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, it's, okay. it's kind of like it a double negative equals a positive. It's what it is, man, right? I mean, what else can you do? Well, I mean, you can sit and watch him all day long on the fucking news, and every day he's doing something really stupid, and he's doing something really uh, just defensive, and he's going to... When, when dude man pulls the trigger... And all these Republicans that voted him in that weren't paying the fucking attention, when their kids are going to war and coming home without legs and arms, when it's their kids, they're gonna fucking have a whole lot to say about it. And that's what's gonna it's what, sadly that's what's gonna take, because he's gonna he's gonna pull the trigger at the wrong time to the wrong people for fucking no good reason because he's an idiot and. That P- everyone's going to suffer for it, even the people that voted him in, and that's where it's going to matter. And that is a double negative. But it's, at least then, you know, and I think it's a good thing. At least at that point, well, you know, the, the, the people in the United States will be able to go. Okay, so now our democracy has to have an adjustment. We have to get it back on track and, you know, make it work again. Because it ain't working. I mean, you, you can see it every day. It's like. You know, we've got we've got all these people that are getting pensions and stuff for fucking working in the Senate and the Congress and all that and, and the House. They ain't getting a fucking thing done. They are just sitting there walking around puffing up themselves and like, you know, it's zero, zero at this point. And it's probably the worst time we've ever had, and people are going to have to fucking let it be known, vote accordingly, you know? As your vote, you gotta fucking you if you are going to vote for somebody, you gotta vote for somebody and you gotta follow up with that vote and make sure they're taking care of what they're supposed to be doing. Keep 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 on track of that. That's all I gotta say. Oh, yes, well, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well Tanya, you I mean even a more positive note, uh I heard about your work in Haiti. Yes. and uh it sounds very inspiring I how you can talk about that absolutely sadly, sadly i sadly i don't have a good thing to say right now because I haven't been down in a while, and I haven't how uh-huh. to to raise money for them for a while, but I have a bunch of instruments and a bunch of friends and a bunch of ideas to try and raise money for haiti um, it's a it's a they're beautiful people. I've been down there and fell in love with these kids, you know that that um, they go to check, and it was just like I I I had this feeling like I have to help these people and in with any, any way I can. And and I guess like, like I said sadly, I just I haven't with my life and my like nine year old and all these other things in my life that I'm working on to try and keep keep it all roll and I, I haven't had a uh-huh. chance you know, to help them out. And so I'm working on some ideas to try and there's some money and this that, and the other thing to keep things moving okay well that sounds something can uh, look out for yeah so yeah. there's a guy that runs there's a guy that runs to Kitek. Father Simon um uh he's just he's a he is a saint he is completely a saint and I'm not a religious man at all but he's um uh-huh. bru- a brilliant man doing a brilliant thing with these kids that uh, you know, kids that go to his school, he teaches them them trade and teaches them trade and all that. And of these kids they lost their parents in the earthquake, they lost their whole families, all this stuff. But because he's there and people, you know, send money to help feed them and and educate them, they have a shot at life and they are beautiful kids. They are so proud when they when they graduate, they are like, Oh my God, I just here I am, man. I can do anything, and they have—they have a look in their eyes like I can do anything. And when I went down there for the graduation ceremony, I just fell apart, and it was like, "These kids." It a rainstorm it when I went to, This was a while ago now, sadly, but well, ten years ago, I suppose. And it was a rainstorm up at the graduation ceremony. These kids knew that someone was coming to see them that was able to raise some money for their raised like fifty thousand dollars, extra spend. And we were down there, and there was a rainstorm. And these kids all got their diplomas, and I had them walking by me. They just, and those was a, you know, um, they, they spoke, they spoke with French Creole, and I don't, you know, I don't speak that, and they were speaking English very well. I, but they knew, and they, I had these kids show me their their diplomas and just give me a hug. They were like, just, they was, it was crushing. It was way more confusing, <laughs> but it was something that, you know, I really, I knew I, knew, I knew I had to find some way to cope this cause because it, you know, they're ultimately going to rebuild that 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 country, and they have to. There's no one else fucking doing it for them. Well, thank you so much, Tommy. I'm looking forward to seeing you um, on Monday night. It's cool, man. Did we talk enough about music? <laughs>
3: Well, is there anything else that you'd like to
4: add? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure, because I go on rent, you know. Um, yeah, sorry about that, but you know, no. I, I look forward to coming down here. No, your back, back catalog really speaks for itself. You, you've been involved in, mm-hmm. in many, many classic works. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that
0: we like to thank Mr. Tommy Stinson, who was gracious enough to give us an interview here on Toon Groover Radio. We're going to end it with one more song from his new LP. This is a title track off Anything Can Happen. See ya.